Thank you for choosing OECD Podcast. If you've ever taken paid sick leave, used parental leave, collected unemployment, or received a pension, then you've benefited from your country's social protection system. Traditionally, this protection has been tied to work. You benefited because you, and your employer, contributed to the system. But today, increasing numbers of people have non-standard jobs, and with that, less access to traditional social protections. Welcome to OECD Podcasts. I'm Kate Lancaster. I'm speaking with Monica Kaiser, Head of Social Policy at the OECD, about social protection in the new world of work. Hello, Monica. Hi, Kate. Thank you for being here. I'd like to start with a look at the big picture. What is changing in the world of work today? With digitalization and automation, we have, uh, in a lot of countries, we see that there's more what we call non-standard work. Now, non-standard work is, can be all kinds of different things. It can be part-time work, temporary work, but also more self-employment. And many people refer to self-employment when they think about gig work or platform work, Uber drivers and other... Amazon Turks. Amazon Turks and um, Fedora and other services which work mostly with people who are self-employed. Now, there's this part of self-employed people, but then there's also all these traditional self-employed people which have always existed. For example, farmers, lawyers, doctors, artisans, so your plumber, carpenter, Mm -hmm. people who run their little businesses. And if we look at the overall numbers, then contrary to what people think in general, it's actually been quite stable how many self-employed are in the economy. On average, we have about 10% of people being Mm -hmm. self-employed, but that doesn't necessarily count people who have normal job, but then use in their free time those extra hours to do some gigs, to either do some graphic design, Mm -hmm. to drive, or do other things in a self-employed fashion. So it's kind of hard to determine exactly who's self-employed, proper self-employed, and who is employed with additional self-employed hours. So using temporary part-time self-employed work to make ends meet or add a little extra income? That's exactly what's happening. But I think overall we can say that in all the OECD countries over past years, what we call the non-standard work has increased, encompassing all these different types of more Mm -hmm. flexible working conditions. And one of the reasons is also that we have more women working. And women often prefer to work part-time because it's easier working part-time to combine work and family responsibilities. Mm -hmm. How are these changes affecting how people participate in the social protection systems? What are the key issues? The social protection systems in many OECD countries were originally built on this idea that people start working early in a permanent job. They work all the time. They work through until retirement. Mostly, um, it was built for male mm. breadwinners. Yep. One, and one women head of household. <laughs> who were head of household and who had the permanent job. And women, if they worked at all, they would work only a few hours and basically be the spouse at home and um, who would then benefit also from the husband's social security coverage. So that's the old world. In the new world, we have people who move in and out of employment, self-employment, dependent employment. They switch over their career. Sometimes they work for the public sector. Then they work for the private sector. They have intermittent periods of maybe education or doing other things. So there's much more fluidity. But that means that the social protection system is really not adapted to their needs anymore and to their careers because they only get benefits if they contribute 
to the systems mm-hmm. and, the, and the contributions are usually linked to their salaried status. So, so if you don't contribute throughout your career all the time, then you have much less benefits. And in some cases, people have no coverage at all. So then, if I'm understanding correctly, typically people who are in non-standard work aren't contributing at all or they are contributing less. How, how does that work? It depends a little bit on the type of non-standard work they're doing. If they're just working in it for a few hours in a salaried job, they have to contribute like everybody else. So they would get coverage, for example, of health insurance. They would have some coverage of unemployment insurance. But for pensions, for example, it matters not only um, how long you contribute throughout your career, mm-hmm. but also how much you contribute. And if you work only a few hours, you're going to have very few right. contributions and very few pension rights. So probably pensions is the area where people are the most worried. Another area where people are worried is unemployment. Because if you're salaried, you're covered by unemployment insurance. But if you're not salaried, you stop working or your business dries up, your clients disappear, you have no unemployment insurance. Now, doing this, giving this type of protection is a little bit complicated. That's my next question. (laughs) Because self-employed people, um, of course, have some degree of flexibility how much they work and how much they don't work. And for the government or the benefit office, it's kind of hard to find out whether these people have been making an effort to find work and they just haven't had any chance to get any Mm -hmm. or whether they haven't even tried. And because, for example, salaried people have to prove that in order to get unemployment benefits that they've actually been looking for a job. So then um, that does ask then who should be who should be liable for providing this protection to the non-standard workers? Should it be the workers themselves? Who's going to offer the typically employer contribution? That is the biggest question <laughs> of all of them, which everybody is struggling with. Ideally, you could say that um, self-employed people should be paying the same contributions as employed people. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have an employer, well, they're their own employer, so they have to cover both the employer's and the employee's contribution. I would imagine that would be an enormous part of the salary the person is making, though. That is true, and that's why in many cases it's actually quite complicated to ask self-employed people who are often not having such great salaries to cough up such a large amount for Social Security or social protection. Mm. So some countries have been coming up with innovative solutions to this. Um, One of them is Germany. They have a social insurance, which is mandatory for artists Mm -hmm. and people who provide artistic services. And so the artists, they have to pay their own contribution. And all the people who use artistic services and books and written pieces, for example, so theaters, cinemas, libraries, um, all kinds of places that that use artistic services need to pay a social security contribution on the basis of all those services that they use. So it's not connected to one particular person, but it's connected to the overall amount of cultural services used. And that and together, so the, the cost is spread out then. The cost so is spread maybe out. Maybe your theater ticket costs 50 centimes more or... Um, something like that, I imagine? Yes, it's spread out, but then the government is also helping. Okay, so So it's not just spread out to the users of the No, you have the users, you have the artists themselves, and you have the government contributing, Mm -hmm. and that provides a nice package of social protection, including pension coverage. So you mentioned that's a mandatory scheme. If you're a poet in Germany, you have to sign up. What about voluntary schemes for non-standard workers? 
Voluntary schemes are um, exist in a few countries, but usually people don't really like to use them that much for several reasons. Voluntary pension schemes suffer from what we call myopia, meaning short-sightedness. Yes. Most people really don't want to think about their pension. I think we all can relate to that. Yeah. It's not nice to, you know that you should be saving and you know you should be putting money aside, but there's so many other important things in yeah. your life in the short term you want to spend your money on. And so... If it's voluntary, people always want to postpone until tomorrow. So um, pensions is really the single biggest challenge um, for everybody who doesn't work regularly and doesn't contribute mm -hmm. regularly. For unemployment, it exists in a few countries, but there we have also what we call the moral hazard mm -hmm. problem, that often people who think that they're not going to need the social protection, they won't go. So you will have only the people who have a very high risk of either being sick or unemployed, well, who would join these it's systems. It's like any insurance scheme. You need everyone to participate exactly. to spread the risk. Exactly. You can't yeah. do any risk pooling if you have only the bad risks and, right. or the good, and the good risks are somewhere else. So the answer then is closer to some, a scheme that's more mandatory? Or is this what, what the, the countries are showing us? There's a wide variety of solutions in OECD countries. Some countries have universal protection anyway. Mm. So take a country like the Netherlands that has a basic pensions. New Zealand has that as well. So everybody has that basic amount of protection just because they live in the country. So um, that, of course, is different in a country that ha gives pensions only to people who have contributed, mm. like Germany, for example. So depending on the country you're in, you will have different degrees of protection. Same for health insurance. Some countries like the UK have national health service where everybody gets covered automatically, whereas in other countries you can only have health insurance if you contribute. So um, depending on which country you're in, the solutions will be different. But what is very clear is whatever solution is found needs to be affordable for the self-employed. Mm -hmm. It needs to not give the wrong incentives, as we were discussing mm -hmm. earlier. It should not be so much cheaper um, that everybody has an incentive to become self-employed. And it should also be um, portable, meaning that people keep their rights um, as they switch between different employment situations. So it's not won't be tied to your job anymore, a big break with the old way of doing it. Yes. Yes. What about universal basic income? Some countries seem to talk about UBI as a way to end all the confusion around benefits and packages and who, who has, has access to what, a, a simple and people would say fair solution. What do you think? Universal basic income is, is indeed being discussed very intensely at the moment. Yes. And the interesting point about this is that it's coming from all political sides. You mm -hmm. have both the le very left, um, more social um, socialist kind of uh, uh, currents saying that this is a good thing to do, and the very free market and liberal currents saying it's a good thing to do. Now, um, what does it mean? It means everybody gets the same amount um, as money paid, and whether you work, whether you don't work, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, everybody whether you're would get the same. a worker or a, a permanent worker. Exactly. Exactly. And it would not be conditional on, on a social situation like being sick or unemployed or, or old. It just would be basic for everybody. Well, that sounds like a dream. It is a dream. It is a dream. But the problem is, if we've done some simulations, if you take the money that's currently being spent on benefits and redistribute it in a different way so everybody gets the same, you will have very low amounts. So 
So people who are, are currently receiving some benefits may receive less benefits under a scheme like some, that, or that's what the some modeling people would, shows? Some people would receive more and some people would receive less. But since you would pay for everybody, you would also pay for children. So you could, in some cases, some households could have quite a sizable amount, whereas others would have very little money. And it's based not on the need of those households? No, it would not be based on the need. Okay. But um, what would be... Really, what would really give you a substantial amount of money to redistribute if you included pensions in this? Ah, because many countries, the single largest item of uh, social spending in most countries is pension spending. Now, if you took all of the pensions money and redistributed that to everybody along with all the other social benefits that are being paid, then you could have a critical mass to redistribute. However, in most countries there is a link between contributions and benefits. Mm. And I think a lot of seniors would find it extremely hard to understand why, after a year of working and paying contributions, mm. they would get the same amount as their grandchildren. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I could talk all afternoon, but we have to stop. I'm Kate Lancaster, and you've been listening to OECD Podcast. To find out more about the issues we've been discussing today, go to www.oecd.org. Thank you for choosing OECD Podcasts. To hear more, go to soundcloud.com slash OECD.